Hi, I'm Lawrence Diamond. And I'm Bob Matthews. And this is The Process of Production. Mate, how's your week been? Oh, it's been great, thanks. Really enjoyed working with you and uh, Victor Ray the other day. Yeah, we had an, we had an in-person session at, at the room I use to work from, which is a bit more of a writing room than a production room, and which I hadn't been in for 15 months. Um, <laughs> it's a spare room at, at my mum's house, and obviously once the pandemic hit, I just packed, all my, my, like, packed a microphone, some USB cables, a sound card, and have been working from here. And then any sessions I've done since it stopped has been with you at your studio or a couple of other places I, I use occasionally. And yeah, it was so nice to be back in that room and, yeah, and be nice. around my stuff. It was really nice to be back. And you had the new speakers. Yeah, got new speakers. How did you like them? Uh, th- th- this is a, a non-paid-for plug, but I decided to go for some KRK Rocket 7s, which I'm really pleased with, and they sounded great. I thought they sounded nice. Yeah, yeah. bit of a birthday present to myself. Sweet. And also like a post-lockdown you know, hoping to be in that room a lot more now that now that we are allowed to kind of travel around London. And yeah, so that was great. And Victor's great. Yeah, he's a gentleman I've been writing with, a guy I've been writing with for a couple of years now. He's just starting to get ready to, to release material. But about two months ago, he filmed a cover of Take Me to Church by Hosier and, and blew up on TikTok. And it was really interesting hearing his tales of that and just like putting a video up from him busking and then an hour later having 50,000 followers and being like, what's going yeah. on here? And that's now had millions of views. You, you can see why, though. He's, he's got such an arresting voice. One of those guys that just stops you in your tracks when you hear him sing. Completely, completely. So, yeah, really interesting project and can't wait to hit, see where he goes because he's a really talented writer and, and singer. Another thing that happened this week as well was our first in-person interview for the podcast with our guest this week, the producer and mixer, Sam Interface. That's right. This week's interview, we were all in the same room for the first time and it was actually a bit a bit weird at first, a bit jarring, but I definitely think yeah. it's better in the long run. I'm really excited to start getting, hopefully getting into people's studios to do the interviews. I think that'll be a really fun thing and, and we'll share photos and little videos on the Instagram when, when we start doing that. Yeah, it's just, you, you get another dimension being in their space. Yes, and though we did the interview in another room in the complex uh, where Sam works, he did take us to his mix room afterwards and it was so cool seeing that room with all the outboard gear and the speakers. Such a really cool room to be in and, and work in, I'd imagine. And also a big shout out to Pirate Studios uh, in Ellsfield where we we did this interview. So this week, I think there's something for everyone, but it's definitely one for the dance heads. Mm. Because Sam comes out of a dance scene, a drum and bass scene in Bristol in the west of England in the late 90s. But though he starts there, it leads to him working all over the world with artists from Africa, Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah, he's got some great stories of recording um, in the in the Caribbean and in Africa, and, and that's worth listening to for anyone who's into music. It's just fascinating. And really unique to Sam, like everyone we've spoken to has had a unique path into production, but where production has taken Sam from where he started, it, it's one of the biggest journeys, really exciting to hear about. Yeah, it's it's a completely different way to come into the music scene than what we did, which is playing in bands. Mm. And it gives you a very different um, outlook on things and a different set of skills, which was really interesting to hear about. I think this is an episode of kind of two halves as well. Like the first half is maybe the most we've sort of got into, maybe not the industry of being a producer, but the kind of day-to-day of how you live as a producer. Mm. 
And then the second half is away as the most kind of far out stories of like being in the Caribbean and making music and being in Ghana and making music. Yeah, and, and witnessing stick yeah. fighting and drum circles. Yeah, <laughs> really fascinating. So a bit of a tonic of an episode. I really, uh, really found it uplifting, as I often do speaking to people hearing their stories. So um, Yeah, he had some great takes, which, which kind of a different angle than what we've had before. So that was great. Take it away. Yeah, here we go. Sam Chadburn, also known as Sam Interface, is a producer, mixer and DJ based in London. Born in Glastonbury, Sam was a crate digger and music obsessive from a young age. He moved to Bristol as soon as he could and immersed himself in the city's drum and bass scene and club culture. Early track Get Low by his crew Interface saw him break through to a wider audience after it was picked up by legendary DJ Andy C. And his collab Bright Lights with Die and William Cartwright also became a cornerstone of the early 2010s drum and bass scene. Sam met longtime creative partner K Shav on the Bristol scene. His roots in Trinidad led to a fruitful series of collaborations and productions with some of the biggest artists in the Caribbean. A working relationship with Toddler T gave Sam his breakthrough as a mixer. The track Boasty, featuring Idris Elba, which Toddler produced and Sam mixed, was a huge hit and has been certified platinum in the UK. We start our interview talking about that track and Sam's career path, from Bristol drum and bass head to platinum mixer. Toddler T, who's always been a big supporter of my music, he called me up and said, I've got this track, it's got Idris Elba on it. Um, nice. <laughs> I really want, you know, like a fat Caribbean sounding mix down and uh, I want you to do it it's on BMG and he sent me the demo and I was like this is okay cool and yeah that track turned out to be Boasty which was like a massive hit yeah and off the back of that toddler said um he, he'd moved more because I guess we were both inhabiting a similar world of like dance music underground niche kind of Caribbean influenced festival bangers yeah. and he'd moved more into like wanting to be a produ working producer producing rappers and pop stars and okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he just said i want okay, i want yeah, you yeah, to yeah. mix everything i do from now on i ended up doing parcelous early singles and he turned out to be a, i mean he's one of the hottest rappers in yeah. the uk right now and um yeah. did a couple bits for mo the pop group yeah. and Quite a lot of stuff that never came out, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah. Of course, yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. yeah, and then it got to a point where I was actually really busy and I kind of see my productions more as a hobby. Yeah. And, um, and do you feel that's sort of liberated you a little bit? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I'm kind of, I feel like, yeah, I've, I've moved into like the current track that I released recently is now, it's just on the Six Music B playlist nice. and... Something that I just did, you know, not, it's probably not a genre, you know, I've kind of gone full circle. I started out doing drum and bass and that was kind of, it's, it's almost, it's, I wouldn't call it a drum and bass track, but it's similar tempo. And I feel, because I, I haven't got to worry about is, you know, I need to put out an EP that's going to, that I can show my agent and then I can get DJ sure. bookings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more like, I'm just going to yes. make a tune, whatever tempo I feel like. That, that I am excited about that, that and, I enjoy um, like, and just put it out yeah. there and not really worry because hopefully I can get enough mixes in to pay my bills and that's yeah I guess that's where I'm at right now it's nice. good stuff yeah I mean it is a lot easier to get paid as a mixer isn't it if we're being frank because it's yeah. like I'm doing this job and I need a fee whereas as a producer there's a lot more grey area it's so much grey I mean I've never been very good at that Me it's neither. quite awkward situation isn't yeah. it like especially when you're working with someone who's not 
I mean, sometimes working with more established artists as well, it's like broaching that conversation. I've been, I've, I've been through phases where I've had managers and and phases where I haven't. And it, I mean, even with managers, it can be awkward. And yeah. it's like, um, and I really enjoy working with kind of people that are maybe less established. Yeah, I always find, kind of, yeah, that almost more exciting than maybe sitting in a room with someone who might be a bit jaded or might have a bit of an ego. Yeah, or the record label are knocking on the door kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. But still to this day, like, I don't know, do, do, you, do you charge a fee or do you, do, do you get royalties and then you have to chase them up and they're, they're releasing independently yeah. and they haven't got... A, yeah, it's a real it's, struggle. It, whereas mixing, it's just like, yeah, I, I need this much. I can yes. deliver you this. Should, should we rewind a bit to how your background as a dance producer and, and DJ sort of led you into mixing and how that's influenced your yeah. way you work now? Wherever you want to start, really. Like, how, how do you I feel? mean, yeah, I guess, I mean, the start was jungle drum and bass music. That was kind of my first massive passion. I was into, I, was into, I guess, you know, I grew up in the 90s and I was into like, Brit pop and even even like you know smash hits pop as a kid yeah. and yeah, and, yeah. Then, and the now um, compilations and yeah, stuff like that. yeah classic and I think I've always even from the early age I remember one of the first CDs that I bought was Ragga Heat Reggae Beat Telstar compilation that had like Inner Circle Sweat and Love Shaggy yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that on it nice so I've, I think I've always had a a leaning towards like Caribbean music and then I definitely got into like buying vinyl about 13 and I, I, li I grew up in Glastonbury which is quite a big point in my musical journey sure. obviously with the festival and stuff and um does, does, the, does the festival and the culture from it emanate into the local community all year round or, or, or um or what? there's a lot of hippies yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was actually somewhere that I couldn't wait to get away from by the, you know what time I was 18 19 I was like raring to leave is that when you um, moved to Bristol then? Or, Bristol was uh, always the so destination. So like even early doors, like at that age, you're like, right, I'm going to find a space and start a studio yeah. with my friends and, and yeah. start making tunes. We were just and, obsessed and with drum and yeah. bass music. And, Amazing. Um, we studied at Bridgewater College. I took a music technology course. I can't say I learned a massive <laughs> amount there. Thought with a few mates, let's move up to Bristol. Like, you know, obsessed with drum and bass. I realized that uh, Ronnie Size represent were guys that just lived up the road from me. Let's go up and get involved in the scene up there. And Sick. just, yeah, went up there and started working in bars, ended up working in a really, well, first of all, I started working in a place called Motion, which... I've been there, yeah, great club. ...became yeah. the biggest club in Bristol. Yeah. When I worked there, it was just a skate park and a cafe. We we used to just hang out in the, in, in the skate park after I'd finished my chef, shift, and we used to kind yeah. of dream a little bit about having the DJ booth on top of the viewing platform. Yeah. And, yeah, that dream came true, and now it's, like, one of the biggest clubs in Europe. And, um, and you sort of saw it being birthed a little bit, kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a big part of it. And I also... I guess cut my teeth as a DJ there, there, and then also the the next place I ended up working was a club called Native, which was more of a yeah small small two hundred capacity venue, but really it was all about the music. Like on Tuesday night, I was a resident there at this night called Run, which had like all the biggest names in drum and bass playing in this small club. You'd have like. Yeah, literally, you'd have Andy C or or DJ Marky come over from Brazil, and that'd be his Bristol date, and you'd have queues down the road for miles, and like every week it was a roadblock, and then um, you'd have like early dubstep nights on the weekend, um, kind of stuff. You get like Giles Peterson, Norman Jay, wow. and people. This like is that like a two hundred cap place. Yeah, <laughs> and it was just 
like for me working behind the bar there and the friends I made, everyone working behind the bar was in, involved in music. And I suppose you're just hearing everything, right? Like, yeah, but kind of subconsciously, like I think when I have conversations with people about music, I'm always like, I never have like a name of a track to yeah. to, to, to to tell them that yeah. this this track was seminal for me. It's all kind of like fuzzed in the back of my yeah. Suddenly you hear it one day and you're like brain, yeah. thrown oh, back yeah. there. And yeah, you mentioned uh, early dubstep. What, what was it like being in Bristol when that sound was coming out? And and was that scene linked to what was going on in Croydon, which is kind of more regularly cited as like the birth of, of dubstep? Definitely, definitely. I mean, I'd, I'd say yeah. They say Bristol's the second city of dubstep and. I've got to be honest, when it first started coming to the club, my crew behind the bar, we weren't sure. Yeah. We weren't sure about it it's straight not an easy away. Sell, is it, it? Yeah. You know, it was that this was like the early days, it was very dark. Yes. Like I didn't really get into it until I heard like um some of the stuff Koki was doing with like I remember he did a, a Richie Spice remix and there was a Mala remix of Fat Freddy's Drop, I think. <laughs> and when 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 he had a bit more kind of dub and soul elements in it that's when i started to my ears started to prick up sure. to it but but pre, i mean that whole thing happened so quickly one minute it was like these nights where you'd get like 12 people in and you know all chin stroking yeah, with yeah. this really loud dark music and then you know a year later you've got scream playing down there and there's like crowd surfing yeah. <laughs> in a 200 capacity club yeah. and, and it's like yeah, it's gone crazy. It it did happen quite quickly, but it was it was an exciting time. Were you, while you were working in the club, were you like days off, evenings, making tunes to then DJ with at your residency yeah. kind of? Yeah, definitely. We used to have a lot of lock-ins as well, so we'd just get on the decks after. And, and yeah, it was just like living music, I guess, you know, and a lot of other excesses. Sure, above, yeah, but. yeah. <laughs> but yeah that was it was it was great times and it definitely was a massive kind of i guess you know just living that club culture yeah. literally you know even when I, even when i wasn't working we, it's it was like my local pub sure. we just go down and amazing you know we'd have our own special button on the till where we could get cheap drinks and, <laughs> and like we'd have yeah Dream it would be man. like it would be like cheers yeah. but, but with a massive, but with, with a massive sound great system music, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you you know you're working in the bar and you're making tunes and you know someone like andy c starting to play things is there a moment when you go i might not have to work in the bar anymore and and maybe this can be what i do along maybe alongside djing and yeah i th i feel like i probably did that a bit too soon though okay if, if they say you shouldn't have regrets, but if I one thing is maybe I should have kept the job a bit longer because I think you can start to rely on music mm. and then it becomes more of a chore yeah. and more, you know, it starts to play with your mental health and starts to play with your creativity and... That's such a good point. Like when, when it becomes your your the way that you earn money solely, it it, yeah. it does change how you look at the job, doesn't it? And, and definitely, it, that's one thing I do say. Like I do, I like to work with a lot of up and coming artists, and I'm always say just like get a job. Don't be, you know, it doesn't. Don't be. T I th I think mm, back then mm. there was more of a stigma upon having a job and like doing well in music 100%. whereas yeah. now i think people are a lot more open about it i see on social media people you know like yeah completely you know it's very hard especially now to like sustain a career in music and yeah there's and there's no shame in in yeah, having other sources of income yeah everyone's doing it yeah and yeah you start to make decisions based upon paying the bills like 
doing gigs that you don't really want to do sure. or doing you know doing remixes of a track that you think's a bit crap sure mm. or just because it's a nice fee yeah um, and yes yeah, it's, it's probably not the best way to live I know you've been to Ghana to work. I know you do a lot of work with artists in the Caribbean, Trinidad and Tobago. How does that process work? Is a lot of it done on Zoom or do you tend to go and work in studios on location actually in the country? I mean, with Trinidad, I guess that was my first major trip and kind of massively life-changing. And I feel it really made me grow into like, it really made my sound that it kind of broadened my horizons i think as a producer i think i was listening to one of your other podcasts and someone was saying like so much of it is about your taste and your you know your what makes you you kind of as a producer that's kind of more important than anything is yeah. like your influences and 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 me going to, to trinidad and it just i think i went i was 25 when i went and i'd i'd for my whole life, I'd always, you know, any bit of money I'd had, I'd invested in either paying my rent or buying studio equipment or mm. paying studio rent. And I'd never really traveled before then. I'd recently met Keshav kind of randomly through a friend called DJ Bungie, who um, was a producer from Bristol I used to live with. And he was kind of always a bit of a mentor to me. But so I met Keshav and, and he just said to me, if you ever want to come to Trinidad to the carnival, um, come stay on my sofa and, <laughs> and I'd yeah like I said I'd always been interested in Caribbean music and more specifically Jamaican music I think Bristol's got a very big Jamaican community I didn't know a lot about Trinidad and Tobago I kind of back then I probably thought oh it's going to be a bit like Jamaica sure. I'm just going to go out and sure. see what happens and I went out there for a month did the carnival met some amazing people and people really kind of took me under their wing and really wanted to show me what the culture was about there. I went down to, someone took me down to like see see some stick fighting in the middle of the bush, which was just kind of like tradition that's, you know, goes right back to pre-slavery where, yeah, people are just fighting with sticks and the first person to draw blood Oh. oh my god wins the bout and, but, and there's like crazy drumming and chanting beside and I was just like intoxicated yeah. by the vibe there and juve the part before carnival where um everyone you kind of get up in the middle of the night and everyone gets covered in paint and again there's just like drums and i just got yeah it was is incredible world to kind of be a part of and get let into and and um yeah yeah just it just changed my life so much like i, I could probably talk about it for two hours yeah. like yeah amazing when considering that you've that you've had the opportunity to kind of em, embrace all these different cultures and, and these different styles of music do you do you feel how that comes through when you're writing a beat or or, or is, is that like you talked about before just something that's kind of unconscious and it's, it's soaked into your i think brain? part of it's unconscious i think i learned a lot from working with keshav about groove and i think that's one thing um, growing up making drum and bass is very much like quantized, yeah. you know, one seven five. Yeah. There's not yeah. a lot of room for like going off the lines because it's so fast. Yeah. yeah. Whereas um, the intricacies of groove is it's all about just being that slight bit off the line. And some, you know, in, in the particular groove of soca music, it's like 
some of them have got to be early and some of them have got to be late oh. and it's a very specific bounce that that still I probably can't quite do on my own I can get close to it but um I guess that when I'm doing stuff on my own that gives me my own kind of bounce but um, yeah. every culture has their own groove and it you know some of them are quite subtle and some of them are quite you know if you go to Brazil it's very apparent it's kind of almost wonky sounding in in, in some places and is that something that you would you would study? You'd look at the rhythms and how how and where they divert from the grid, or yeah, I think when I'm working on my own, it's a bit more. Yeah, I'd like I probably do it more like almost by eye. Yeah, looking, so looking you, at you, maybe looking at a reference track and, and seeing where those beats land, and then ooh. trying to. I mean, when you try and replicate it, it's never the same. Sure. But it, it does send you on a, a different vibe. And, um, Absolutely. That's what you know. But, what you're looking for as a producer. How do you approach a session when you're in a studio in Saigon or, or Trinidad? As someone who's not necessarily native to the country or to the culture, or maybe even to the music that's being made. I guess often as a white man going into these countries, as well, there can be a kind of trust thing as well. Sure. Like, yeah. You know, you've got to be respectful of, of where you are, and I always I. I like to work with people. I don't really feel comfortable going in and like just it being all about me. I like to do do collaborations mm -hmm. rather than kind of um, yeah borrow what you like from the culture and take yeah. it to your own thing. You'd rather collaborate. Yeah. yeah, and promote the people that I I learnt about that culture from, uh, and and then build yeah. new relationships from that way. And it's it's just a, a more comfortable way of doing it because it. it Again, it's all production. It's all about the vibe in the room. So you're having fun essentially. Mm. You're, you're playing music, and you know sometimes, quite often in these situations, you might have a couple beers, or you might wait till afterwards yeah. to have a couple beers. And it's just, I think the best music I've ever been involved in has always been, yeah. You know, I've kind of been in other situations in the more pop realm where I've been asked to come into to sessions with big producers and. It, and just laboured over like a pre-chorus for a whole day mm -hmm. and stuff. And it's just mm -hmm. not, doesn't interest me in the slightest. Like, I get, you know, you might get a number one hit out of that, but it's not how I'd want to get a number one hit. Um, it's, for me, it's yeah. all about just getting in the room, not thinking about it too much, just enjoying yourself. I've been in rooms certain times where people are kind of overthinking it and kind of thinking about how the audience will perceive it and, Sure. The the, mm. the 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 in the vibe just goes out the window for me. Then it's like if I yeah. I'm all about if if it makes me excited, then I'm cool. It don't, I'm not. I don't want to think about how much this track will stream or sure. something. Yeah. Have you got any tips for getting out of that headspace? Or I th I think if if you're in a production situation, maybe working with a singer or or another producer. Yeah, I think you you know reassurance that you know because yeah we all have days when we don't feel confident in what we're totally. doing and and if you can see that's happening with someone else then i think you know that's another job as a producer is just to make people feel as comfortable as possible yeah. like i keep coming back to you've you've got to have fun yeah. if you're not having fun like you might as you'll earn a lot more money working in an office or a, yeah. a bank yeah, yeah, or yeah. something like this we don't do this for i mean you know some of us are lucky enough to make lots of money out of it but it's not the reason I do what I do. When you're in like Ghana or Trinidad and you're you're working with these musicians who like it maybe is their culture that they've grown up with, but it's maybe not a sound you've grown up with. Do you just sit there and kind of like open your mind and like the microphone open and start channeling this and then I can feed back into it? How do you how do you 
build that relationship with someone where maybe the musical references or the cultural references aren't you know if you sit down with a guy from Bristol and be like, oh, I love that tune do you remember that club night oh yeah I've got that beat and whereas with that it's the reference points are different and just be interested how you kind of build those communications I don't know yeah a lot of it's um you know like most sessions it normally starts with just a conversation and a and a you know a chill situation or sometimes people come to you with an idea that you know like nice. when I go to Trinidad now luckily enough I've been involved with some tracks that have done really mm. well over there so people are kind of keen they might come to me with a song or or and you know Keshav it's a very small it's a quite a big island but the music scene everyone knows everyone so um and it's very like over there like there's this big culture of songwriters Amazing. even in you know like a lot of the artists do write their songs but a lot of the artists work with songwriters and it's kind of a normal thing and Ooh. the songwriters are always credited in, in uh you know a lot of the music is still youtube based rather than spotify and like they're always they always credit everyone involved in the track underneath right. and, um, so, so what does one of those sessions look like? Would the songwriter be there or would the song be written before you get involved? So, yeah, sometimes I'll do the session with the songwriter then I might not even be in the country when the main artist voices okay. the record. Uh, okay. um, quite often with the Soka stuff that I've done, I haven't even been, you know, it might have been that me and Keisha have made a load of beats when he was over in England and then he goes back and records them with artists. Gotcha. Um, yeah, it's sometimes it's quite hard to get the artists you want in the in the studio. Sometimes people <laughs> nice. work on their own time yeah. timing in the Caribbean. Yeah. Nice. And so sometimes you just get in who you can. If you can't get the artist you were planning to get on that day, you just call up. Oh, who's around? Oh, this songwriter's here. Let's come and make a vibe with the songwriter, and then that might turn into something else. And you know, sounds you know, really exciting and kind yeah. of yeah. There's definitely not a rigid like yeah. you know Tuesday you're in a session with this person. It starts at 10 a.m. It's like Last time I went there, I just booked out a studio for two weeks and, and just kind of whoever was around passed through. You might have someone pass through in the afternoon for a couple hours, drink a beer, record something. Then someone else, a musician, might come through and and then we might book a horn, a horn session. Oh, cool. And I had this really amazing experience there a few years ago. We, we um, met up with this producer called Leston Paul. I, d I don't know if you're aware of him, but he was, he's like a, a legend of the Caribbean. He must be, I don't know how old he is, but he produced, he was like the arranger for feeling hot, hot, hot amongst, amongst hundreds of yeah. other Caribbean classics. And yeah. Keshav connected with him and we did this track called Truck on the Road, which was a really big hit in Trinidad. And, and, and he was just like, how the hell you get your kick so hard, man? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we kind of built up this relationship with him whereby we ended up like working with him for for a week or two. We went down to the studio every day and he was, yeah, he's like hyper jazz level piano right, player, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he was also like scoring out horn sections on, on pen and paper. And then he'd just like fall asleep halfway through <laughs> doing something. Wow. And, um, and then he'd get his old he'd get we did a session with his horn players that he's worked with for years and the way he was working them in the booth he was like cussing them out he's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah i suppose uh while we're here we should also ask you that question Leston paul asked you uh how how do you get your kicks so hard man um saturation i think is the key with kicks like i think with with a lot of, a lot of things in the bottom end people focus on the bottom end when really it's the harmonics that's going to make it sound bigger. 
you know, the bottom end is uh, actually very simple. You kind of want to keep it, you know, you just want to keep it at a certain level and it's the harmonics that's good, you know, if you, yeah, so it's just cut through and knowing which saturations to use, which ones, um, you know, some work better with different sounds and it's just sort of like, I've got like a, yeah, hundreds of different saturation <laughs> plugins and some of them work better than others on different sounds right. and it's just, yeah. Saturation, sometimes layering, but I feel like layering is al almost sometimes, again, just you're adding something to the top end normally. Yeah, and a little bit of click yeah. or a little bit, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of click or a bit of room noise, but um, yeah, saturation's the key, cool. I think. So how do you feel your background in dance music has influenced the way you mix? Do you focus more on the rhythm section or, or start with the rhythm section or, or how? Yeah, rhythm section and bass for sure. Like bass is like, I mean, it's funny because I think coming up in drum and bass, I think I suffered a lot because I couldn't mix as well as my peers. And that was a really sure. big thing for, for me. I'd, I'd labor over mix downs for days. And, and normally the more you spend on mix downs, the worse they get anyway. So... <laughs> And, but I think, you know, in, in drum and bass back then, and it was kind of one of the reasons why I got bored of it is it was so focused on the mix down that the kind of soul had been ripped out of the music a little bit for me. And I was finding less and less music that was exciting me in that genre. I, I guess it's tough in, in those kind of genres, the, the producer, the writer, the producer and the mixer is kind yeah. of all part of the same process, isn't it? So like, and, and mixing is something that takes years to get good at. So that's that's tough for a young producer making those, those genres. Don't and you I think? came up in the era where um, Pendulum came out and really changed the game in drum and bass in terms of they brought this kind of rock sensibility and these kind of different techniques to the mix down where suddenly everything was like really flat and loud <laughs> and their, their music, when you're DJing, yeah. it just sounded bigger than everything else and everyone had to catch up and people didn't right. really share you share tips you couldn't go on youtube back then and find out you kind of like yeah, yeah. you Amazing. had to have an in yeah, yeah, really yeah. and it was kind of a bit of a closed club back then to get to know those techniques to get get things to stand up next to other people's records in the clubs and that i think that's that's kind of informed my mixing but nowadays i'm almost a bit anti that like more and more and i think more recently where I've been kind of maybe working on a few more like poppy projects and a few more, even some acoustic stuff. It's really nice to kind of think of mixes in, you know, in a different way where you're not worrying on about how loud the snare cuts through and how heavy the bass is, where you're just worrying about the dynamics and the emotion of the performance and, and, you know, mm. working with width and, yeah. you know, just trying yeah. to make sure that the, the verse feels, the chorus feels bigger than the verse, but the verse still. Yeah. Are you enjoying mixing more songs? I mean, you just talked about it a little bit there, but like obviously you're, you learned to mix doing drum and bass. Mainly yeah. there is still rap and stuff, but are you enjoying kind of getting songs to mix and, and approaching it maybe with a different end game? In, yeah. So? It's harder though. It's right. Okay. Harder. That's interesting. It ch it challenges me. I get, get a slight imposter syndrome when I'm, given an R&B soul track to mix that, you know, like a rap track is, is easy for me. It's like, get the drums knocking, get the bass hard, sure. yeah. Yeah, get yeah, the yeah. vocal nice and up front and you're kind of job done. Whereas, yeah. 
yeah, with with something like a bit more song based, where you have to really maybe work, you know, do a lot of automation, and and you know certain bits really want to come out in the chorus, and then maybe maybe you bring the stereo field on the backing vocals right in in the verses. And well, you're definitely doing something right because um because we, we we met Sam through the work that you did on um the Orchid songs that that I produced, and um like I was saying before we started, they're some of the best. They are the best mixes I think I've ever had back from something I've produced. It was just oh, so exciting. You, They're just really thank exciting you. mixes. Like, just make you want to get out of your chair. Like, really, really yeah. good. And during that process, you you talked to me about how you'd you'd gone analog recently with your mix process. Yeah, I mean, it's still mostly in the box, but yeah, I've got a, I've recently bought a dangerous summing box two bus plus. Right. So, could you just talk to us a little bit about, about what that summing box does? like from a technical point of view and then like the wider implications of how you feel that changes the mix or like why you might want to go analog in general it's still something i'm kind of the jury is slightly out because in some ways the digital mixing with the digital is so i mean it's totally recallable yeah and even even with the basic analog setup that i've got the mix will never be 100 percent the same but there is yeah there is something that just getting your music out into the analog realm definitely I feel like I maybe use less plugins to get to where I need to go because you've you've got a certain amount of separation that you you that you don't get you can probably achieve the same results in the box, but it may there's many ways of doing it and it and it maybe comes a little bit quicker. Shakespeare once said that music is the food of love. But what is the food of music? As much as the right microphone or guitar amp, what we eat or drink can be such a crucial part of a recording session. So each week we like to ask our guests, what do they cook or order to get the mood right in the studio? Yeah, I mean, Ghana was really good. Gafachi would take me to all his local spots and I'd be eating, yeah, stuff like banku and kenke with my hands, dipping, dipping kind of stuff into really rich stews and, and soups and stuff. That was really good. And... Trinidad, um, it's mad. yeah, I love the food in Trinidad. They have a thing in Trinidad called doubles, which is a big part of the food culture where you you get a doubles man on the corner of the of of the street, and it's basically two kind of chickpea flour flatbreads with a chickpea curry inside it, and then they have a sweet and a spicy. Uh, so you normally get a bit of tamarind chutney in it, or some mango chutney, and and a hot sauce and a bit of cucumber and that's like you get a doubles man all over the place and that's a massive part of the culture over there you go and get doubles and and so you might leave the studio and go and find a doubles man and you'll stand on the corner and you you might eat sort of like one is a nice snack three is getting towards a meal maybe four if you're greedy depending on the type type yeah, of doubles yeah. so you might just go out and and the doubles man have a cooler of of soft drinks and maybe beers as well so you might Take a break from the studio and go find a doubles man and Dream. have three doubles. Maybe drink a beer on the street for for a bit and then maybe go back in the studio. For for a bit of context, we're in a rehearsal room in West London and it's pouring with rain outside. And just yeah. hearing that story yeah. is yeah. Like <laughs> almost painful. It sounds amazing. What's your favorite reverb? Mm. I don't want to say Valhalla. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I 
Yes, yeah, you know, like that's um, a very popular answer. I do like. If it is, then tell us and tell us I'm why. Like, it's fine. I'm a guy who likes a lot of different reverbs. I like a room reverb. I'm a big fan of the Ocean Way um, on UAD, but also oh. for a cheaper option, Denise Audio, Perfect Room. Okay. Really good, really good room reverb. And then why why room reverbs? You, you like a slightly more realistic sound occasionally, like more. Realistic yeah, I space. think I really like them for adding subtle space. Uh-huh. Like, you know, a re- reverb that you won't hear, mm. but might just, sometimes I'll filter it a bit, so maybe put it on the drums, but cut the top end off. So it's just kind of sure making everything feel like it's in the same room, but you don't really notice it. Yeah. The drums still sound dry. That's a good or, tip for the drums. Yeah. yeah, and same with vocals as well. I might use the same reverb, put, you know, I might have a bigger reverb for the vocals, but I'll also have a room and I'll maybe have, a pre-delay going into the room for the lead and then maybe go into the room with the backing vocals without the pre-delay to kind of give a bit of space between the lead and the backing vocals. Oh, that's clever. Great tips. Okay. Nice. Uh, favorite, your favorite delay? Um, has to be Echo Boy. I think Echo Boy is like my favorite plug It's incredible. Full stop. Yeah. Like I use it for much more than delay. Like I use it as a, it's really good as just a widener tool. Mm-hmm. Like if you you know have really short delay times on each side, yep. the saturation on it's incredible. Yep. Um, filters on on it are pretty cool as well. Like yeah. it's just it's almost like a yeah. It's much more than the delay. It's like a Swiss Army. I, I think it's like my Desert Island Disc plugin. Great shout. Yeah, I often use it with the delay time at zero, and then just use the wet dry knob to yeah. mix in one of those saturations. Like, yeah. um, one of the different. I once did a track with yeah. um, Zed Bias, and we created all the bass lines through. Uh, extreme feedback tails like I'd ramp the feedback right up and then move the delay time until it went down really low oh. and oh, then wow. resampled the the kind of swooping bass and made some really deep bass lines out of it it's that yeah it's that it's almost like a synth isn't yeah. it I mean I guess it is a type of synthesis when you get a feedback trail loop in so yeah, far yeah good point wow it's super creative um favorite compressor um I love a Fairchild um, the UAD one, um, I really like it on, I guess, legato stuff. Uh, I quite often put it on backing vocals. I quite often do a parallel with a Fairchild on group on on all of the vocals yeah. as well. Okay. Maybe even like sometimes I'll put the the reverbs through that you know feed that through the the, the parallel channel as well to just kind of it's bit of a glue for yeah glue everything together. Is the parallel channel like really smashed like or, or, um, or not? So I find much? with the Fairchild. If you smash it too much, it kind of s- just sucks the energy out of the song. Yeah. So I won't. But the needle will be moving quite uh-huh. a lot, but not like in the red to yeah. the point where it stopped. Right. Got you. Uh, what's next? Oh yeah, your favorite synth. Um, a bit of a curveball on this. I'm not a big synth person, but I love samplers, and I think the Logic sampler, especially since the root, yeah, the the, uh, yeah. I love it. Like I, that's kind of a lot of my sound design I do through sampling on and maybe even just using the, the the basic kind of stock instrument sounds in logic but but almost using logic like a synth yeah. whereby i'll put an amp on a trombone sound and and filter it and then and then bounce it out and resample yeah. it and suddenly you've got a, a, a new total new sound and i really yeah i like to get create i quite like to get creative with real sounds but make them sound like 
synths by processing that's really cool really heavily that's really cool. it is a very powerful tool isn't it a, a, a that yeah. was the, probably the most interesting answer we've had to that question and it sort of answered another question because one of the questions i was going to say is like how do you get your bass sounds because it's such an important part of drum and bass and everything but kind of with the echo boy and the sampler it's sort of the answer in a way isn't yeah, it yeah more often than not most of my bass sounds come from one or two of the same 808 samples and i just process them and uh, you know distort them and filter them and resample them and pitch them and loop them and, until they sound like something mm. unique to me and and yeah i'd say like 90 percent of my sounds all come from the same source but they're just guess creative processing on top of them cool. um and then finally your favorite microphone uh tlm 103 yeah Sweet. Can talk to me a bit about it, just because it's the microphone I have, but you've probably gone deeper with it. I mean, I've I've probably had it fifteen, no, maybe at least ten years, and wow, you know, I bought it off eBay for about six hundred pounds ten or so years ago, and it's sat in my studio now. I've used it for every session I've done. Um, when I'm in Trinidad, we quite often use SM7B. I think it's really versatile yep. for, you know, you can. It's great for percussion and stuff, but also you can get if you've got a good preamp you can get a really good vocal sound out of it as well um but i'm not that you know quite often we just use a rode nt one or two like a lot of our early production i think that's one thing i've always kind of just done is just work with what you got like quite often when i'm traveling you'll just be like maybe working in someone's bedroom or in a not particularly mm, yeah. well equipped studio and you just make do with what you got sometimes a lot of our early stuff, I was holding the mic, you know, over a steel drum or, you know, Keshav would grab some pots and pans from the kitchen and b beat a rhythm on them and I'd just be like holding the road mic on top. And we, it'd just be like, nice. you know, we'd just got up hung over after going to a carnival and just making music without, <laughs> I think the less you think about music, the, be the better it is. You know, you want to be, nice. you want to be in that state where you're just enjoying yourself, you know, in the, in that flow state where, six hours fly by when it feels like 20 minutes that's kind of you know if you if, if you if you're getting that out of your session then something's going right and and probably you've made some magic and you've just got to trust that magic afterwards because it's very easy to like then look back at it two days later and think oh no i need to change this i need to change this when more often than not the magic was there at the start it was there in the creation mm. yeah i guess that leads us on to our final question is uh what's the most important tool at your disposal as a producer um i think vibe nice. vibe you know like make i feel like i keep coming back to it but making sure you're having fun in the room making sure everyone feels comfortable and safe and like making a good vibe in studio making sure people are happy if people are happy then they'll make good music you know, results yeah um, thank you so much yeah. <laughs> What a great collection of stories that was from Sam in his life as a producer. Yeah, and such a different, as we talked about at the beginning of the episode, such a different entrance from maybe some of the other producers we've talked about. Um, certainly some of them have had dance music influences, but Sam is entirely coming from that, starting in that drum and bass world. Yeah, DJ before anything else, really. Yeah, I think that was kind of my first takeaway, and it's something I'm really interested in about how... 
what he was trying to achieve when he DJed influenced how he produces. And that happens in all kinds of music. I think, you know, bands are influenced by the reaction of their crowd when they play live, and that f can often feed into their writing. But this is even more like drilled in to that direct response from DJing your tunes out. Yeah, I think in club culture, it's a much more common thing for you to finish a song in the afternoon and play it out in your set that night yes. and, and see how it goes. Like, you don't have to wait for your band to learn it. You can... Mm. You can really get very quick and visceral reactions from from the crowd and 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 that can be part of the creative process of uh, of the song yeah and we've talked about like pre-production and and producers shaping songs and i've always thought that like playing white labels or like rough mixes is sort of like a communal pre-production of yeah oh, i lose them at the middle eight or that drop doesn't work or mm. there's not enough of a hook here yeah the feedback of the dance floor the impact of the dance floor kind of comes back into the music and that's been a real part of Sam's production process of taking yeah. and, and also listening. He worked in this bar and he heard these DJs every night and hearing what worked. Yeah, what, what a cool way to kind of cut your teeth as a musician, as a producer, just be immersed in music every night, even whilst working behind the bar. What a way to like get paid and you're like around all this cutting edge electronic music every night. Yeah, I had a similar thing when I was, after I, was, after I finished studying, I worked in a bar, like a rock bar in Leeds that played like classic rock and, and like modern rock 24-7. Nice. And it was amazing because, A, I got to hear the music I liked all the time, but I also just got exposed to hours and hours of stuff I'd never have heard before. Yeah. And this was a time before streaming, and just the fact that they had these albums, and I could I could listen to any Van Morrison or Rolling Stones or Otis Redding or mm. Sam Cooke album, they literally had them all. And I just absorbed, I think I don't think I realized how much I was absorbing it. It really brings home how important it can be to to be part of a scene, part of a community mm, when you're definitely. when you're making your way in music. It can be a really exciting place to kind of grow from. Yeah. And that also sort of leads into the next takeaway that I think was maybe my biggest takeaway from this interview. When Yeah, I know what you're gonna say. Yeah. Yeah, when he said, I wish I'd stayed there longer. That was that was a real stop in your tracks moment for me because mm. Isn't it everyone's dream to give up the day job? Mm. And here we have a guy who's done some amazing stuff saying, I wish I'd kept that job longer. Okay, maybe it wasn't like an office job that he was hating. It was it was something yes. that he was enjoying. But it, it, was, it was more from a financial side of, of things than the, than the kind of community culture experience side. Yeah, and he talks about how now that he's mixing and that's main, mainly his income his production work is so much more enjoyable to him because he just makes what he wants. And I assume that was a similar feeling he had then when he was working with his friends in a bar and he was making the tunes that he just wanted to DJ and, and enjoy. Yeah. And as someone who's kind of gone in and out of having music as a full-time career yeah. and always kind of had it in my head that to achieve being a full-time musician, producer, writer, whatever it might be, is the goal. Yeah. And suddenly flipping that, which is kind of like one of the big driving forces and actually kind of looking at it and flipping it and going, maybe the drive is to make great music and enjoy making it. Yeah. And if you're part of your income or a majority of your income is coming from elsewhere and that means you make better music and you enjoy it more. Yeah. That's a better motivation, right? Yeah, completely. It, it, it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. And, and I've definitely had moments in my career where I kind of needed more a, a separate income outside music, but was too proud to, to do it because I'd, I'd made the step to being a full-time mm. musician. Mm -hmm. And like that's my identity. And it, 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 yes. I was too proud to go, well, actually, I, I can't make ends meet at the moment. I need to go and do something else. And 
And it's tough. I'm sure a lot of our listeners, some of you will be full-time producers, some of you will be hobbyists, but I'm sure a lot of you will be in that space in between. A lot of us are these days. Yeah. And to hear Sam speak so honestly about it and just, it was really refreshing. I yeah, think. I think I think the big message is it's, it's okay to have another job. It doesn't mean you're not a real mm. producer or you're not a real artist or, or whatever it is. Yeah, and Sam also sort of, sort of alluded to that as well of like, we're of similar ages ourselves and Sam and he did kind of highlight that maybe 10 years ago yeah you kind of fronted that you were this full-time guy and everything you know yeah. this kind of fake it till you make it thing that sometimes is in the industry and yeah now there's much more honest conversations about how you get by another thing uh, on more like kind of fun micro thing was how Sam makes sat like his answer of my favorite synthesizer is my sampler yeah that was a really interesting window on his process and it reminds me a lot of how I used to produce when I was a lot younger and maybe didn't have uh, lots of other synths and, and samples to, to draw upon. I would, I would often just take things and screw with them using the Logic Sampler as much as I could because it was one of the tools I knew, I knew how to use and just try and get something that sounded unique to me. Making your limitations your strengths as well. Yes, love it. I think the biggest thing we can learn from Sam is that he's all about a vibe in the room. Yes, he, he, he yeah. kept saying that, but like I think that just kind of underlines how important it is. It's about that relationship. It's about that energy in the room. Yes, I mean the vibe in the room, and I mean this maybe isn't a lesson to take, but just something to hear about about working in all those different cultures. Yeah, and he I, he sort of was very humble about it all. But some of these people he's working with, some of the genres he's working with, the music he's making. It's pretty unique for someone to come from Britain and and go into that space and make this music and what incredible experiences he's having and yeah. for, for music to take him and do that. So exciting. I think it's really cool that he's able to look beyond his borders um, mm. for inspiration. I think we can all take a leaf out of that book. All genres of music can become very insular mm. um, and looking outside your boundaries and, and your world makes music so much more exciting. I mean, Sam's taken that to the nth degree. I mean, that's a a dream experience but even just widening the palette of of where you're taking music from and what you're listening to i think is makes everything you do more exciting yeah i think it's a bit of part of your part of your job almost as a, mm. as a producer to, mm -hmm. to, to to keep your eye on on different genres and keep learning and keep exploring different genres and different cultures too one of the best parts of doing this podcast is preparing for every episode and listening through to every producer's yeah kind of cv and hearing all the different things and all this great great music what a wonderful way to learn your craft by just listening to incredible music as a bit of a nerd one of my favorite parts of sam's interview was hearing about the intricacies of groove and mm. you know the fact that little variations in timing off the grid can be what gives your track that feel and hearing about how there's all different uh swings in different cultures was was really really interesting yeah and as someone who often just quantizes their drums to the grid uh i think it was an important lesson that well there's been a bit of a quantize like i know there's like the famous the infamous loudness wars but i certainly felt at the beginning of the tens and mid tens there became like a quantize war where kind of genres that hadn't been affected by the kind of on the grid pop thing started going well if we want to compete in this world we have to be quantized to the nth degree and tuned to the nth degree. And With Melodyne getting more and more advanced, you mm. could quantize polyphonic instruments. You could tune polyphonic instruments. You could take individual elements of a drum beat that you recorded on a real drum kit and you could 
shift those things around and get them perfectly in time on the grid um and whilst those tools are all really useful there's a very real possibility of overdoing it and i think that happened in a lot of pop music yeah and now there seems to be a pushback again um and dance music in, in itself like sam alludes to so much of where it came from from the kind of organic grooves you know Dance music didn't start in 2003 with like a certain level of Ableton. People have been making music to dance to forever. And it was about that human groove. And hopefully as as we become like a more global society, we start to get those grooves coming back in and hearing them in new ways and different ways. And if if you can learn that and apply it to working within your world, it's just going to be so much more interesting. We we that project we worked on with Trudy Mosiamo, where a lot of the music was coming out of Zimbabwe and and parts of South Africa. We just our heads were blown. Yes, we tried to sample uh, some percussion drumming from 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 some indigenous people in in Zimbabwe, and um, I just couldn't get my head around the rhythm. Like, what time signature is this in? Yeah, like um, it was it it sounded amazing, but it was just like com- com- sounded completely bonkers to to the Western ear. Uh, and yeah, it was it was it was really tough trying to get that on the grid so we could work it into Trudy's kind of more pop music style tune. Yeah, and I remember we we were working with some Zimbabwean musicians, South African musicians, and we sent them kind of this sketch that we'd worked on with Trudy for them to play to, and they kind of wrote back and went, "Wow, this is really interesting. This is what our music would sound like if someone tried to play it in four four. And we were asked, like, "Yeah," <laughs> they were like, "Do you want us to keep this?" And we were like, "Please, please don't keep it. Please, like, ignore our like ham-fisted attempts." And it was amazing to hear them kind of then reinterpret what we'd reinterpreted back. And yeah. Um, I think we ended up with something quite cool, yes. even though our influences are so much more square than than what the place completely, they were coming. Completely, But yeah, I just couldn't get my head around the groove. It was literally like listening to a different language, um, but super cool. Yeah, so finally, I did a micro takeaway earlier, maybe like as a macro takeaway, uh-huh. the enjoyment of being in a room with someone and talking to them about music again um, yeah. was so nice. Like I hadn't met Sam before. Neither had I, yeah. And so nice to sit down talk about his experiences and kind of come away feeling like, you know, you've made a friend yeah. and you've learned a lot about someone and, and their path in music. And you, you know, Zoom's a wonderful thing, but it that was just such a nice experience. Yeah. So used to doing it on Zoom that it almost seems normal now. And like, it was really special to get into, get, in, get, get into the same space with someone. And I can't wait to do a few more like that and many more, hopefully. Yeah, it's got me excited. We've got a lot of new guests lined up, which we're excited for mm. you to hear. And it seems like we're getting a lot of new listeners from everything that we see as well. So welcome to you. Thanks so much. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. See you soon. Thank you for listening to The Process of Production this week. If you enjoyed it, please give us a follow and maybe even a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. It really helps. And please get in touch if you have any thoughts on the show, questions you'd like answered, or producers you'd like to see featured. We'd love to hear from you. Our Instagram is at Process of Production and our email is Process of Production Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs>